Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Welcome. We have a special event here in Masterclass Theology. We have, uh, I'm Big Rev. We have Professor D. Uh, say hi, Professor D. Hi, Professor D. <laughs> we have a a uh, special journey we're going to go on. We're going to look at the life of Joseph, and Joseph is a very, a very unique Old Testament character. We we do realize there's a New Testament Joseph, and we really couldn't take. We're going to take seven sessions in this journey. We really couldn't take seven sessions to talk about the New Testament Joseph, but we, we can we can do so. A major chunk of Genesis is devoted to to Joseph and the the story of God saving His people through another country and, and through and how, how, how Israel ended up from the promised land to Egypt. And then it's just a, a very unique story. If you've never read the story of Joseph, I highly encourage you to do so. Here we are. We're going to be tonight in our, in our, first, our first leg of this journey in Genesis 37. And, and I want to open with a, with a brief word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll journey forth here. God, we thank you for... This opportunity to study your word, and I'm thankful for my friend Mick, uh, Professor D, who's going to be with us and helping us to unpack this text and answer some key questions. I'm I'm just encouraged and and uh, looking forward to this journey, this conversation we get to have. And there's nothing like God having a conversation with with a cup of coffee and a dear friend over your over your Bible. And so we just we we're so thankful for this evening, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I actually wanted to start tonight with um, a little bit of a prequel in Genesis 35, because it's going to kind of come up a little bit. So in Genesis 35, we learn that, because uh, if, if, if you had been following the story of Jacob in Genesis, uh, we, we learn that Jacob ends up marrying two sisters, and one of the sisters he really wanted to marry, and the other sister he kind of got tricked into marrying and he didn't really want to marry her. And, and so we learn in Genesis 35 that uh, Rachel, the, the wife, he, the sister he really wanted to marry, she finally, she, was, she didn't give birth for, for a while. And then she finally gives birth and she gives birth to a son named Joseph. And then she, then she gets pregnant a second time. And with her, we kind of get the idea with her dying breath. She, she names him Benjamin. And so we get this idea. Uh, she died. She dies in childbirth. And so she is out of the picture by this point. So we, we look, she's died, she's buried. And, and Jacob sets a pillar over her tomb. And then when you, if you go to Israel, you, you can, you can locate that area. It is still an area that is advertised. So in verse 23, Jacob had 12 sons, the sons of Leah, because again, Leah was very, she wasn't the one that, that was, Loved as it were, but she was very fertile. The sons of Leah were Reuben the firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Then the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Rachel's servant Bilhah, Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Leah's servant Zilpah, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padanaram. So those are all the names, and there was you know, evidently four different women who participated in giving birth to to these these children 
who when we encounter them in our text today are going to be a bit older. So we're going to begin our journey here in Genesis 37, our very first section looking at the life of Joseph. When we finally hear him coming on the scene, uh, verses 1 to 4. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. And Genesis does this. They kind of go, you know, here's, here's the account of this family. Here's the account of this family. Okay. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. It's, this is where we learn about the, uh, was it the Rodgers and Hammersteins play, the, the Technicolor Dreamcoat kind of thing? Okay. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So, Mick, what do we learn about Joseph's family situation? Well, it's definitely a very blended family with a lot of sibling rivalry. Yeah. What's going on with their, like their emotions? How do they treat him? Well, here's the thing. We see that the oldest son is, is Reuben, but he's Leah's kid. Um, and then on the other hand, you have Joseph, who is Rachel's uh, oldest son. And Joe, and the way, just the, the, the giving of the, the coat to Joseph is basically saying, you're basically going to be the head of the family, something that really should have been Reuben's. But because of Joe, Jacob's um, favoritism, I mean, he creates a, a unnecessary tension in, in his own family, really. I like that. Honestly, yeah, yeah. look, Joseph is, is not the problem. The problem is Jacob doing what he did. Uh, nobody ever accused Jacob of being very wise, though. But what can I tell you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's odd. I mean, yeah, J Jacob just with his story with with his brother Esau and just you know his being a deceiver and a trickster. And yeah, he 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 at this point his story arc is redeemed. You know, he's not. You know, Esau didn't kill him. You know, he's breathing out murderous threats and he, they didn't die. Okay, so I mean, it's. I mean, it's look, a, the only redeeming quality that Jacob actually had was that he had a great work ethic. That was about the extent of it. Other than that, I mean, the guy is is deplorable in every sense. So, you know, Jacob, he's a, a young man. We get we get his age. So he's 17. Uh, Joseph, you mean? Joseph, excuse me, a, a shepherd boy. Thanks for the correction. Um, and then we have uh, Bilhah and Zilpah listed as wives at this point. They're all, I mean, so we have, uh, that's really all we've got going on here. But yeah, there, there's some there's some tension, like you said, the brothers. Um, but yeah, I, I, a lot of that, you just wonder, does it, does it go back to Jacob and how he treats you know, I was like, are they are they emotionally following his leadership or his media manipulation or his favoritism? Almost like, you know, if it's like a nepotism, right? He, he, he has a chosen one. And so they are following that lead with bitterness and anger. And yeah, I think yeah. so. But I, you know, I think we can have our imaginations and we can imagine that the four separate mothers probably also, well, not Rachel, because she died after Benjamin, but the other remaining mothers who knew that they were not J Jacob's favorites, as mm. it were, also probably taught their sons the same way. But we know for sure that Jacob did. 
And the beauty of this text is, just like with any text, we don't have to guess anything. It tells us this very clearly. You know, uh, his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more. Mm-hmm. The text literally tells us that. So it was evident. You know, we're always told as parents not, you know, not to prefer one kid over the other. Yeah, naturally, we may gravitate to, you know, one kid or we connect with one. But to actually to say, so they are interpreting it that they saw that their dad loved Joseph more than them. And so they hated him. So they were full of resentment and hatred and they could not even speak a kind word to this boy. So yeah, there's things they could control there and they're, and they're choosing to react poorly. And yeah, well, let's continue five to 11 here. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. My goodness. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? So we find it interesting here that he's not interpreting the dream. They're interpreting the dream. Well, I think it's a very obvious one at that. Oh, yeah. It didn't take much. (laughs) Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream of what he had said. Okay. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So what is not said here is that they took this to dad. Because the very next verse says, when he told his father as well as his brothers, it's almost like they said, dad, get in here. Listen to this. His father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and, and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. So what stands out about the dreams, Mick? So t- take dream number one, then dream number two. Well, I think, we, honestly, I'm, I'm probably going to take them together because they, they're both very obvious about what he's saying. He is going to rule over his brothers. And then in the second dream, he just expands it to include the parent figures. Mm. So it's already bad enough that he has the relationship. And I'm left wondering, you know, um, Joseph, is this one of your brightest moments when you know your brothers already have it in for you? I'm like, the text doesn't really say it, but you kind of wonder, are you gloating at all? Or, or are you just that naive? That's a great question. And I've often wondered, like, we'll, we'll learn it in our, in our next journey. We'll see him in the household of Potiphar. And there's going to be this incident with Potiphar's wife. And Yes, he's going to come out, you know, we'll, we'll find out exactly what happens there. But a lot of people are very quick to say, oh, he poor guy, he was in a rough spot. And I just wonder about some of the naivete, you know, he should he have even been in that position. And so this is, I like, I like that word you chose, because Mick, I mean, I think, I mean, yeah, he's, he's coming in there and he's saying, he's just telling the dream and he's just, just being an honest young man. But at the same time, these guys already hate your guts. They're jealous of you. They resent you. Um, it's not going to take, I mean, they're, they're like a, a bunch of fire ready to start burning and you're, you're waving a match around. I mean, this is really, you got to tell these two dreams and this is, is this a moment where this really has to happen? I mean, we asked that question, you're, you're removing God's sovereignty because obviously God is working a plan and the narrator is crafting this to make it all, you know, fit seamlessly, but still that's a great point. I mean, I mean, how naive was this kid? Yeah. 
mean, it's, just, it's, it's a fair question, at least. Yeah. And, and the other part is the interesting thing, and I'm going to ask you, what do you think about the moon? The sun obviously represents the father figure and the moon represents the mother figure, but his mother's now no longer a part of the picture at this point. Yeah, that, 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 so yes, the sun and the moon are going to bother. So both, both the brothers, right. They, they, they interpreted it as, uh, what is the dream you had? Will your, will, will your mother and I and your brother. Okay. So that is, okay. So that is, that is dad interpreting the dream saying your mom and I, so the the two basic options there that, that kind of came across my path as I, as I thought about this was it either means, it either means that Rachel is, that he's talking, it's, it's either he's talking about Rachel or he's not talking about Rachel. If he's talking about Rachel, she's been dead probably ten, seven years, eight years. Mm -hmm. I think, I think uh, Joseph was around 10 when, 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 when Rachel died, uh, I think so. He, he, she's been dead for a while. She hasn't really been part of the family for a while. So either he's speaking in a big category in saying that in our family line, it's like you, you, the son, the firstborn son of the favorite wife, the one that he's naturally going to want to give a coat to kind of thing. Okay. So the wife that couldn't conceive all those. Okay. So either he's speaking, you know, categorically saying that Joseph, you are now going to be in a position that our entire family is now going to bow down, or you're going to take some kind of preeminence over all of us in some way. Um, obviously, you know, when, when, when we look at the rest of the Bible, it's always Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we don't think of Joseph, but those of us who have read Joseph's story understand that he's integral. And without Joseph, they probably aren't going to have a promised land. And they're not, okay. So there's, they're going to die in some kind of, you know, f f starvation and, and, and drought. Okay. So famine. So either he's speaking in a category and that all the family is going to bow down to him in preeminence some way, or the other option I could think of is by this time, uh, was it Bilha? Was it, that was Rachel's servant is that she at some point took over the mommy duties in, in place of her mistress or her, her, her mm. you know, it was a servant relationship. So a servant and the yeah. mistress. So when the mistress died, she stepped in, not only did her womb crank out official sons, but she then was, so, so at that point, Joseph would interpret that as Jacob speaking as if he and Bilhah. Are going to bow down. So either it's going to be taken literally with your your mother figure and me, or figuratively in terms of like all of the family. You know, even as history looks back at the line of Jacob and Rachel, who's now dead, but just with big broad paintbrush strokes, we're all going to. Those are the two options. I don't know which one of those you like better. We're not really told. Yeah, no, I, I honestly don't know. It's just kind of been one of those questions that uh, I've always been interested and curious in. Uh, I'm not satisfied with pretty much most of the commentary responses that I've I've read up till now. And I think the Bilha one is probably the, the most sensible one to me in the sense that a lot of the, what is described is on the literal side, the 11 stars for the 11 brothers, you know? So it's like, you got the sun, that's pretty much, you know, well, as literal as it gets, you know, the only one that doesn't have a real figure attached to it or a face attached is the moon. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think the other thing that's interesting, though, is that his father kept the matter in mind. Mm. Can you think of another time in the Bible where something happened pretty miraculously and the, a parent had a response like that? In, in, in this case, it would be she pondered these matters in her heart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I was thinking about that. I was even thinking about when, um, even though it wasn't really a parent relationship, but when uh, Samuel was going to Eli and Eli kind of had a feeling what was going on. And it was, I just think it's really cool because I think it's, this shows something about Jacob actually had an encounter with God in, in a very different way than, than all any of his, his family members at this point, his mm. household, I should say. And, and I think this is why he react, he, we are told this about him and not, not the rest of them. Mm. Yeah. So that's, that's a great, that, that would be uh, Samuel's mother, Hannah, and before Eli. And yeah, that, that's a great story. Fervently praying so much that he thinks she's drunk and she's moving her lips without speaking. And what's your deal, woman? And, and so she, you know, she, she has that vow and God fulfills it. And so she keeps her word. And so she, you could just imagine, you know, her pondering things in her heart too. And the example I use was, you know, Mary and also the, all these Mm -hmm. things are happening to Jesus and she's, you know, pondering these things in her heart, the shepherds and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we continue here. Uh, so we've been, uh, we're again, we're in the first part of the Joseph story and we're going to be in 12 to 27, the kind of the big chunk tonight. Now his brothers have gone to graze their flocks near Shechem and Israel said to Joseph. So Israel is the kind of poetic renaming of Jacob and so sometimes he's called Jacob, other times he's called Israel. But just as the narrator, narrator is clearly reminding us what we're talking about here is that this is really Israel's story. This is really, um, this is really the nation of Israel's story from a big picture point of view. Okay. So Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? Well, they have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard, him, I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. What did I say 27. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take them back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, because evidently he was still wearing it, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spice, spices, balm, and myrrh. 
and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come. Verse 27, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So, Mick, how, how does this section present the brothers? On the one hand, um, you have, uh, they all really don't want him, and they, they want to do something to him. And they've obviously contemplated killing him. But you can see there's kind of a change of heart, especially with Reuben, the eldest of them all. And um, so apparently somewhere in the store, he walks away from it. And the situation presents itself that in which Judah then takes the lead and, and Judah being, I think, what, brother number four, I believe, on the list. Um, and Judah decides to kind of um, soften the blow, so to speak. You know, instead of killing the kid, why don't we just uh, we just sell him off? You know, we, we just get rid of him. You know, whether we kill him or, or get rid of him by by shipping him off. You know, bottom line, the idea was he Joseph would never come back into the picture in a conventional way, you know, in the conventional thought. So you have both of these guys that are trying to, um, I'm not going to say they're trying to do the right thing. Maybe Reuben was trying to do the right thing. Judah was just kind of came up with a plan B because like, I guess at the end, their consciences probably stirred them a little bit, you know, to actually go through with killing someone, even though we see that's a very common theme in, in Genesis with brother wanting to kill and or killing a brother if you go to Cain and Abel. So you have a you have some of that playing around. You mentioned Reuben and Judah there. How are they different? So their influence. Did, did number one. So how are they different in their approach? And I mean, Reuben being the firstborn, you know, is he the one they actually listen to? I mean, I mean, what what kind of influence do these brothers have? Well, the, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think they did listen to Reuben. Um, they obviously threw him in in, in the cistern there for a while. Um, and again, Reuben had a plan to come and rescue him later. What know? do you think of that plan? It was was that a good plan, or because because at that point, who's he, who's he it, there, there, it could be taken a couple of ways. There could be an ulterior motivation, like, "Look, Dad, I rescued your favorite son," kind of thing. He may have been, you know, trying to position himself somehow. So he probably saw it as a as an opportunity. Because who he, who would he be betraying at that point? He would be betraying the the other brothers. Yeah. He would I mean, be that, that was like a chess move or something. That, yeah. yeah, I love that point, Mick. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, but we really don't know what, it, or was it just his pure conscience just really getting to him? Although one of the things that we see with these guys is they they all seem to have seared consciences. Hmm. You know, um, then you have Judah in the absence of Reuben, he just steps up, which is pretty uh, bold considering that there's brother number two, there's brother number three, and he kind of just rises to the top. Which is, which is very interesting about Judah. You know, um, I was thinking about some family dynamics in, in our family and uh, Elda has like a bunch of brothers, my wife, and there's the oldest brother and there was the third brother, interestingly enough, of, 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 the, um, of the four brothers who always kind of competed with brother number one, kind of like for the supremacy. And it's kind of, you know, I, I, when I think about it, I think about all those brothers. Yeah, I mean, you've got this this section definitely presents the brothers with like from a counseling standpoint, 
they seem to have some self-talk going on there because they, they see him from a distance. What are the things they're telling themselves? What's their self-talk? They're mumbling and grumbling about the dreamer. Oh, there's that dreamer. It's like that, that's something they've already been talking about to themselves because it comes out naturally. They're not just randomly going, oh, yeah, that's the guy that dreamed. No, the text is picturing that this is burning and, and, and like ruminating in their crock pot. This is something that just keeps seething and, and tumbling around in their dryer kind of thing. It's just always there. And they see him, they could see that shiny coat probably on the hillside. And they could see that, that, that ornate robe that probably stands out and like, ah, oh, there he is. Yeah. Let's see what comes with those dreams. I mean, so you can just tell they've been chewing on this. And yeah. this is, it hasn't left them alone. And you get a bunch of jealous people together and grumbling and they're going to start to gossip and they're going to start going back and forth. You know, we're not seeing the gossip so much. We're seeing the fruits of that gossip. They were, like what they're saying here is, is evidence that they have been saying stuff like that before. Okay? That's the way human nature is. Not only that, but if they're willing to kill one brother, what, are, what tells you they're not willing to stab the other brothers in the back? Mm. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, he, that they even got that far in their thinking. What, what won't they do to the other brothers if they see the other brothers as an obstacle? Yeah, and the text literally says they saw him, but before he even got to them, they plotted to kill him. So that was a conversation that was a, okay, you grab this part, you grab, you know, you grab this, you, you know, shut him up or what, whatever the plot entailed, because then, then they started to, you know, I don't know how, we don't know how far they got with that before Ruben steps in. Yeah. I mean, you know, once you're, once killing's on the table, I mean, once killing's in the picture, nothing, no other options off the table. Mm. Yeah. It, I like what you said, because they, they both seem to have some influence, but I guess part of, a, of, I forget who said a quote like this a long time ago, but to, to, you can find the leader by seeing who, who people are following mm. and they seem to be following Judah well, again, Ruben did step out. He did. He stepped so that, out. That, that's kind of one of the things with that. So he filled the vacuum when Ruben left. Yeah, yeah. And and they well and they well not only that they they they, they took care of things behind his back because yeah. he, he was planning on circling back and trying to and by that time the deed had been done. Yeah. Ah, Jacob's kids. Just uh, the the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We're, we're not at all surprised that Jacob, the major deceiver is and, and manipulator, is himself. Well, okay. Well, we got to see what happens here. So this is 28 to 36. Uh, so when the Midianite merchants, just Midianite, so somewhere the Ishmaelites were known at, for being connected to Midian and that, ma that major land. Okay. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. I could all, that could also mean that of, of that Midianite caravan, he specifically sold them to a group of that caravan that were Ishmaelites. Okay, that's just, that could be taking the text of face value there. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't here. Where can I turn now? So when they, then they got Joseph's robe they slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. <laughs> what a move there, kids. He recognized it, of course, and said, it's my son's robe. Some ferocious animal had devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. 
All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So the story moves on. The story moves on. So we're going to look at the responses here. So we, the first response is the brothers minus Reuben. So, so how would you describe their response? What, what was it they did? So Reuben's not in the picture, but the other guys. Again, uh, you know, na nature abhors a vacuum. And, and there was a power vacuum here and Judah stepped up. And um, he was an opportunist and he figured, why not get more than less? If you killed Joseph, all you would have to do was basically just blame an animal, bloody robe. That would be the end of it. Here they made uh they made some uh bling on the side and you know that, that that's uh cap capitalism one oh one right there, buddy. I mean, you know, to get get more bang for your buck. All they needed to do was hang on to the robe. Yeah. And then they could, you know, because why I mean why they they probably couldn't argue to dad later on that you know Joseph ran away and left his robe behind yeah. so they, they wouldn't be able to get away with that probably like, yeah. why wouldn't he keep his robe this is, he's always has it on okay so that's their brothers without reuben what about reuben's response how did he respond well obviously reuben knew his plan all along so when he saw that it's like oh no you know what did you guys do first of all it it, it cuts into his probably uh what we can imagine is his his master plan of scoring points with dad and uh now now we have a real situation here okay so now how did all the brothers so now reuben his he has he he's no longer ignorant reuben now sees what happened maybe he's getting a, a portion of the uh the, the silver we don't know but because you know he's he is part of the brothers okay maybe he's not maybe they're like you know what heck with you i don't know but at this point now they all go back because the text doesn't tell us that Reuben didn't go. Mm -hmm. Now they're all before dad. And so how do they all as a unified group? Because we don't see any division here in the text. They're unified. So how do, how do we see them presenting it to dad? Well, you know, here's the bloody robe. Is this your son's robe? Obviously, Jacob's going to recognize it and identify it. So they, they had they had to form a united front. At this point, it was kind of like that was in all of their best interest as a collective and as individuals at this point, they needed to come, they couldn't admit what they had done. Mm -hmm. Even if it was plan A to kill them or plan B the selling, they still couldn't admit what they had done. Bottom line, they knew the old man was gonna take it hard. They probably didn't realize how hard he was gonna take it, but they knew he was gonna take it hard. Yeah, I, I wanna piggyback on your earlier point about Ruben and Ruben trying to manipulate dad because dad still gets manipulated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like that's still on the table is that yeah. Jacob, it's like that part of his past can't stay in the past. He it just keeps, you know, the apple falling, you know, not far from the tree, as you said, he still gets manipulated. Yeah. Whose code is this, dad? Are you sure? I mean, we found this and it was bloody and uh, ch check it out, dad. I mean, you would know. Come on, dad. I mean, knowing full well, they're playing right on the strings. I mean, it, it reeks like to his earlier deception with his own father. You know, animal skin, get the smell of my brother Esau, you know, all, all the same things. Like they, this, this is kind of like one of those uh, crime movies, like a Reservoir Dog where, where they got everything figured out. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to set the stage like this. 
and, and we're going to, you know, we're going to sell this like that. Yeah. What, what does he say? The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hairy arms and the, 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 the game, the gamey dinner you made me, you know, that's yeah. all, that's all Esau. So I, I can yeah. smell Esau, but I'm hearing Jacob. So I'll, I'll overlook that. I'm willing to be manipulated to give my blessing here because yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm eating some yummy food and I'm smelling, you know, my favorite son kind of thing. Uh, yeah. So dad still gets manipulated. Uh, in, Look, in, you know, honestly, in these boys credit, they did a better job in their cover up than, uh, than Jacob and his mom did. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because if you really think about it, would, would you say that these, these boys or these men that they thought the deed was done and, and then now this troublesome brother is gone, like, like yeah. big time gone, like, like, okay, we can sleep at night knowing we didn't kill him when we could have killed him. Yeah. But he's now completely out of the picture. Yeah. You know, and one of the lessons, you know, we learn in the Bible is that that's never the case is that yeah. our sin, our sin will find us out or whether it's, it's Jonah, whether it was David thinking he got off scot-free with the whole Bathsheba thing. And then the prophet calls him on it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, these things have a way of, of finding themselves out. These guys thought that they were taking care of business and, and taking care of, you know, they were satisfying whatever grudges, whatever resentment. Yeah. So then, then now dad, he's the final response. You've got the Rubens response. You've got all of the, you've, you've got uh, the brother, no, excuse me, the brothers outside of Ruben, their response. You've got Ruben's response. You've got um, all the brothers before dad and now dad's response. How, how do you look at dad's response? I mean, short of dying from a heart attack at this news, I mean, he was up there in age. This is the next worst thing. This is the next worst thing. You know, he feels it and he's mourning and, and he he's nothing can co console him. And he refuses to be consoled at this point. He's devastated. Would he's you, would you argue, Mick, that he also feels guilty? Because I don't think so, because for him to feel guilty, the only way he could probably really feel guilty would be if he knew the boys more murdered him or if he even suspected that they murdered him. Other than that, he's probably not thinking it through like everything else he's done pretty much. Well, the only reason I bring it up is the last time they had an interaction, it was go see your brothers. Yeah. And then he's there on official family dad business. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the next time he hears about him, he's, he's presumed dead. Yeah. And this is a guy that's an emotional guy. I could see him taking that in and going, well, if only I had not done that. Yeah. If only, I mean, I don't know. Cause I mean, I'm making up an emotion, but he has plenty of emotions here. Yeah. No, that, that, that could very well be the case. And yeah, I, I hadn't really uh, thought about that particular thing. You know, uh, going back to the brothers, I think, you know, the fact that they didn't have to kill him, you know, I was thinking about in, in, uh, in Macbeth where Lady Macbeth, after they 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 do the uh, they follow through with the assassination of the king, she's got this. I can't get the blood stains off my hands. Mm. You know, she keeps washing her hands because she because of the guilt that is consuming her. And I think the brothers in that sense dodged a major bullet. Mm. Having said that, though, and I know we're not going to cover it next week because next because um, the next chapter is actually about Judah and Tamar. But, you know, I was just kind of, re you know, I was trying to get the, the flow of the read. But even when you go into verse one of chapter 38, it says, at that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay 
blah, blah, blah. And the point being is the fact that Judah left his brother makes me kind of wonder, is something going on there? Mm. Yeah, He's and like, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought it up. Because because we're, we're actually going to skip that chapter. Yes. Because to go right to the next section of Joseph. But I'm glad right. you brought that up. That there seems to be some kind of division. Yeah. And, and, and we're going to see this again. I mean, there's going to be a division with Reuben and, and some of the tribes that are going to want to have land on the other side of the Jordan. Mm -hmm. And they're going to petition Moses, hey, can we have this land and not have to go fight for the land or have not have to, like, we want the land here. And the brothers are, you know, like, whoa, hold on a second. You know, you, you, what are you going to just take the land we've already conquered? You're not going to go yeah. join us in battle for the rest of it? I mean, and so these, these brothers are going to have splits and they're going to yeah. have, so yeah, we're already seeing here. Uh, we're already seeing some of that, but yeah, I, I just, I, I love, I love your, your thoughts tonight, Mick. If you were going to boil this down, if you were going to have a takeaway point from Genesis 37 in chapter one of this journey with Joseph, what would you want our listeners to know? That's a very good question, Joel. And, and it's one that I'm still kind of thinking through. There's a lot of things going on here, but I try to look at it as Genesis as a whole. After the fall, and especially in chapter four, there is always this brother against brother thing going on. Yeah. There's always this brother against brother thing going on. You got Cain and Abel. You, you've got Esau and, and, and Jacob. And now you have these brothers. And even if you go backtrack a little bit, even prior to these brothers, the two sisters were competing for Jacob's affections. Yeah. You know, there's constantly this, this fighting that we all have. Because everybody thinks, you know, if, if all the families in the world were fixed, that would, would fix everything. You know, the problem is we can't even get along with each other. And at the most primal level, the one person we, sh we should be able to get along with is our brother. And this is where you really, the proto-evangelium from Genesis 3.15 is so essential because we will not fix our problem. We cannot and we will not. We are too busy fighting with each other all the time. And that again, how would you describe that, that verse where that, that initial gospel prophecy in the third chapter of the Bible, how would you describe that, Mick? Huh. You've, you've got the woman and the, the serpent, and they've both just been cursed. And the man, of course, being cursed too. You're going to work the ground, and the, the woman's going to have desire for her husband, and, and now he's going to rule over her. And, and okay. And the serpent is, there's two seeds there. Yes. Bottom line is God has to bring in the seed. He singles it out with the woman. He keeps the man out of the picture when he talks about the seed because it, it's a seed that God is producing. Yeah. And, that, and that's really it. Again, humanity is not capable of coming up with, with its own solution. That solution has to come from outside. And that's why when, when God is saying that in, in the garden, he singles out Eve, you know, the seed going through Eve, in other words, it's coming through a woman. In other words, I'm going to bring this seed into humanity, but this is not going to be connected to the rest of humanity. Adam, meaning Adam, actually meaning literally man. This is not connected to mankind. This is this is this is a separate seed that I'm bringing into the equation. My my, and, my good friend Terry calls the book of Genesis the onset of sorrow and the dawn of hope. Yeah, and we have the great fall, the great sinful separation between man and God after the first sin. 
and there's all kinds of sorrow, but now there's still hope there. Yeah. So that promise that one day God's going to take this sorrow and he's going to take this situation. There's going to be a reversal. There's going to be some kind mm-hmm. of salvation, some kind of a hope of a reconciliation one day, but it's going to come at a cost, but it's only going to come because of God. And it's God's word proclaiming it, even the third chapter of the Bible, mm-hmm. after the worst possible news just happened with these curses. Yeah. And I think one of the, the most amazing things about Genesis is really that everything that comes out in the remaining books of the Bible appears in seed form in Genesis. Mm. Everything from, from the Messiah, the line of Judah, everything is there. The promise of, of a restoration, Genesis 3.15 again, it, it, it is all there. And, you know, spoiler alert, the story of Joseph as a type of, 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 of the life of Jesus. Yeah. I mean, by the, by the time you get to the New Testament, the, you know, Joseph has largely left the story in terms of his influence. Mm-hmm. We have um, really the only tribe that kind of matters is Judah. Yeah. And where we get the word Jew comes from the word Judah. Yeah. And so we've got this idea of, in terms of influence, so, so we're not surprised seeing the brother Judah stepping up. Yeah. And it's almost like the narrator of this. Uh, it's like, it's like Moses is reminding us that Judah is, is playing a prominent role here. And the ones who should be taking the lead, who are trying to take the lead, like a Reuben, they're just kind of like trying to grab water with your hands. It's kind of going through it. There's not real, there's not much influence there. So we're, so as we see the nation's story play out, Judah is going to continue to lead and it's, he's going to continue to have prominence and, and from a king standpoint, the only good moral kings are going to come from Judah. And the, the, the northern tribes are going to be a great failure. And they're going to lead to, by the New Testament time, the, the, like the intermingling, intermarriage with Gentiles and Samaritans and, and this kind of armpit territory called Galilee. And then nobody is really like, nobody, nothing good comes from there. This is the, waste, the wasteland. This is nothing. And so but we're seeing that start here in these early stories about these brothers yeah. where but you can see how, you know, how, just how capricious they are, how, how just the way that they, they let their heart guide them. Yeah. And, and you can see, you know, Judah taking, taking prominence here. And, and I, and we're thankful that Judah's story is going to continue, but, but yeah. And Joseph is, we're going to see Joseph, of course, come to great prominence as, as we continue. And then, in the New Testament, maybe not so much. Right. But I, I, I like how the, the narrator is giving us a lot of foreshadowing here. I think um, another amazing thing, if you notice, God never picks the brother that you think he ought to pick. Mm. You know, generally, there's this whole thing with the firstborn um, that's a big thing in their culture. And yet God always kind of goes against type as if to show us that, you know what, it has to do more with who I choose rather than who, than who do you, who you think I should choose. Even, even with Jacob himself being the brother, you know, Isaac, if, if Isaac had his way, it would have been Esau, mm. you know, but, but God said, no, I'm choosing Jacob. Um, we see this also with these brothers here. We're going to see Judah step up and uh, don't want to get too far ahead in the story. But even when, when, when Jacob blesses the sons of Joseph down the line, we, we see something very interesting there as well. 
Mm. You know, and, and again, Paul's going to hit big on this in the book of Romans when he talks about that. Yeah, well, uh, it's a verse I didn't read, but it makes me wonder. So this is still, I, I read before, I, I read about the sons of Leah and, and the sons of, of Rachel, but just a couple verses prior, it, it talks about Reuben, actually. And Reuben um, went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah. So this would be Rachel's. Yeah. So, so so he wouldn't go and sleep with his 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 actual aunt, which would have been Rachel. But Rachel's now dead. So now we get this idea maybe that Bilhah is coming into a prominent role of, okay, I'm going to replace my mistress, I guess. And so kind of like how... Um, you've got like in the story of David where David's son who was rebelling kind of went and, and slept with his, his, his dad's concubines, like making a, a political statement in the bedroom kind of thing. Like I'm taking over. Reuben has this moment here as the firstborn where he goes in. So already he and dad have something here. So there's yeah. something going on there. And obviously that's not, you know, that's not right. I mean, the text doesn't present that favorably. Um, and then it says, this is verse 22 of chapter 35. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard of it. So it's like he heard of the matter. It's like, I believe later on, David's going to hear of the matter. And what's he going to do about it? Yeah. David's going to run away from Absalom kind of thing. So here it is. It's, so he heard about it. So already there's some kind of tension here uh, of, of between Reuben and, and Israel. So maybe that's underneath this as well. Um, I don't know, but it's, it, there's something, there's something there. The text told us that just, just a yeah. chapter before. No, but, but then you would also think that, well, okay, so I have a problem with, with, with Reuben. I'm going to go with the next in line, Simeon. Yeah. And instead, no, he goes with, with Joseph number, number 11 down the line. Yeah. And then, and then Levi of all things. And then, you know, yeah. And then, then Judah. Yeah. You know, a big takeaway for me is kind of, we bring this to a close I would say, I mean, besides just seeing God's sovereign hand as he plays, as he plays the stories of these brothers out, that, 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 that means something to me. It's kind of like, I'm the kind of guy that I'll watch, I'll, if, if, they, if I see a good movie and they make a prequel of that movie, I love the foreshadowing and seeing things happen ahead of time. And oh, I, I know how that story ends. And that kind of makes me, you know, makes me glad. But I would say, pay attention, like, don't ever follow your heart. Mm -hmm. Like the, these guys are clearly heart followers and they are, they are just like led by their heart and they just, their heart tells them to do something and they, they have these thoughts in their minds and, they, and the, those thoughts, they influence their heart and there's thoughts where, oh, this guy's going to rule over us, are you? And now, okay, here's the dreamer. Now he's, we're going to see who rules over who and who really has the power, you whippersnapper. So we're, we're going to get rid of you. And so they follow their heart and they follow where it leads them as opposed to, we don't see any other voice in this story. Yeah, Reuben has a moment, but we don't really see any kind of correcting voice. Even go back a few, you know, 30 chapters or so, the very first murder with Cain and Abel, God enters the story and says, hey, Cain, guess what? Sin's crouching at the door of your heart. It wants to, it wants to master you. It's ready to get you. Knock it off. It's like the very first counseling in the Bible is from God to, to Cain of all people. We don't see a different voice here. We see nothing. We just see people doing what's right in their own eyes. And wherever their heart leads them, I guess the great story for us is don't let your heart lead you. Pay attention to your heart. See what's going on in your heart and address your heart. It's, you let your heart be like a, a thermometer to tell you what temperature you are, not a thermostat to kind of guide you to set the, the temperature for the house. They are truly thermostatic when it comes to their heart. 
they are truly allowing their heart to lead them on and then they do horrible things and um you know and that was and that was jacob's story too i mean yeah. it's like that's yeah then pay attention to your heart see what's going on and address it it's like at no point are they ever thinking about god at no point are they even thinking about their dad and what this is going to do to him i mean if nothing else forget god for a moment they should be thinking about dad. now they thought about dad when it came time to bring the bloody garment and to manipulate dad oh then they're playing the, the they're playing the smallest violin for him but at no point did they ever think about dad and you know, to, to, to pay attention to what's going on in our hearts, but don't follow it. My goodness, the heart is deceitful, Jeremiah tells us. And it, it's, 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 like it's deceitful. It lies to us. That's the big takeaway for me, not, not to be a heart follower, because these guys are, that's, that's what they do. They, they, they get the, the thing on their mind. It influences their feelings. And they just move. And I, I, hope, I hope it changes for them. Any last words, my friend? Uh, amen to that. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> I mean, we, I, that, that's the problem, man. We left to our own devices. We do not do the right thing. Mm. We, we, we will go against our very own brothers. And that, that's the sad reality of the human condition. We are all capable of something like that. Were it not for the grace of God. And especially when God's word sticks in our craw, you yeah. would think if they were people of faith, they would say to, to, to their younger brother, this dream you had, that, that didn't just happen. So why did you have this dream? What's that all about? Do you think God's trying to talk to you? Is there something going on there? Maybe they would investigate it. Maybe they'd wonder, oh, okay. I mean, because a dream ended up doing it for Joseph, the other Joseph, the New Testament one, where God warned him in a dream. It's like, okay. I mean, you would think they'd want to investigate further versus wanting to, because, you know, really, we don't see much of God in this story in terms of in the text. So what do we do? It you would think they'd want to know about. It. If nothing else, be superstitious, and play that card and say, "Well, what, why are you dreaming that? What does that possibly mean? We need to investigate this further." Versus, "Oh, how dare you? We're not going to kill you, or we're going to hate your guts to the point that hatred leads us down a murderous path." I guess we're not we're not surprised when Jesus talks about you can't murder your brother, but you know you also can't hate your brother, and that hatred leads you to murder. Maybe he had this story on his mind, yeah, because. When you I mean, leave those emotions in the crockpot of your heart, they only lead to destructive paths. I mean, what is hatred if not the seed form of murder? Amen. Well, this has been our first journey with Joseph here from Genesis 37. This is I'm Big Rev. Join me with my dear friend and brother, Professor D. Mick. And God bless. And Amen. see you next time. Yeah, looking forward to it. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.